Now hear the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight, Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. You know, I can go out, I can get into my car, I can pull out my phone, I put in an address, and my phone tells me how to get there, where to turn, even how to avoid traffic. It's great. But what if I put in the wrong address? I can follow all the directions and still end up in the wrong place. You know, the same thing can happen in the church. If we have the destination wrong, we end up going in the wrong way. Where our understanding of God is wrong, our way of following him is wrong. Where our understanding of God's purpose and plan are wrong, our own purposes and plans are wrong. As we look at the history of the church, we can see the times where the church's understanding of God, its theology, Aired. And we can see the ways that the understanding of the ultimate plan and purpose of God erred. And the church sought after something other than the restoration of all things and the coming of Christ and the new heavens and the new earth. We can probably look at our own journey of faith and see the ways in which we followed something other than the truth of God and the rightness and righteousness of his way. We can see the ways in which our eyes focused on something other than God, and our feet followed our eyes. Just like with the GPS on our phone, when we recognize that we're going the right way to the wrong destination, we need to put in that right destination and reroute. This is the call of John in the wilderness, to repent, to turn from following something other than God and to seek God. This is the call of Mark in proclaiming the truth about God and his purposes in the good news, the gospel of Jesus, who is the Christ, the promised Messiah, and who is the very Son of God. This is the call that we heard last week as we looked at Paul's call to the church at Corinth to turn their eyes to the cross, 
This is the call that we hear this week. As we look at Peter's call to the whole church to turn their eyes to the coming of Christ, to look at their current circumstances from an eternal perspective. So let's begin by looking at the setting and purpose of Peter's second letter. This is a letter that isn't written to a single church. It's not like Paul's letter to the church at Corinth or the church at Thessalonica or the church at Ephesus. Peter addresses his letter to all believers, to the whole church. We see in this epistle also the acknowledgement that the early church was beginning to use the writings of Paul and the other apostles in the same manner as scripture. As Peter warns about the twisting of the sayings of Paul like the twisting of other portions of scripture. Peter writes this letter with the intent that it be used in this manner. I don't think when Paul sat down to write letters he said, wow, I'm writing scripture. Peter sat down to write this letter, and he wrote it to be used as the scriptures were in the church, to be passed around, to be read in all churches. It's probably written about the time of Peter's crucifixion. As I read it, I look and I think, perhaps this is a letter that Peter dictated on his way to be killed. I write these things because my time here is growing short, and I want you to know. Peter's crucified in Rome about 65 AD in that great persecution of the Christians by Nero after the great fire that destroyed much of the city. In this letter, we find a call to the true knowledge of Christ as a way to resist and escape from the corruption and greed and lust that is in this world, and instead to participate in the divine nature through Christ to progress in love as the preparation and the promise of the eternal kingdom. We find a call to faithful witness and a rejection of false teachers who malign the way of truth. And we find a reminder of the judgment when falsehood meets divine truth. A reminder that the angels who rebelled against God are cast down. A reminder of the flood, a reminder of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah reminder of the corruption of Israel at Peor. What might these false teachings be that threaten the church? Peter first deals with idolaters, those who wish to integrate the pagan ways of greed and lust into the Christian community. You know, this is a tremendous challenge as the early church tries to navigate a way of holiness that includes both Jew and Gentile. And Peter encourages us to remember the holy prophets and the words of Christ and the teachings of the apostles. To remember the holy prophets, to remember the words of Christ, and to remember the teaching of the apostles. Good advice still today. And Peter next turns his attention to those he calls the scoffers, those who doubt the return of Christ and claim that all things continue as they have always been and will always continue in the same way. They resist the idea of a coming day of judgment, a day when all things are restored. And this brings us to our passage today. 
Peter begins by reorienting our perspective. He says, do not overlook this one thing, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some would count slowness, but the Lord is patient to you. For the Holy One who inhabits eternity, 30 years, 300 years, 3,000 years, it's all the same. In a way that is mysterious to us, a way that we don't understand. The God who is, who was, and is to come for him, all things are eternally now. The past, present, and future, all now. It is this eternal perspective that we're called to use, to be able to participate in the divine nature and inhabit the eternal kingdom, even in our temporal existence. Peter then gives a reason, a purpose, for the temporal delay of the return of the eternal Christ to redeem and restore. A delay in making new all of creation, both the heavens and the earth. A delay in returning to judge once and for all between good and evil, truth and lies. This delay is so that all people, all people, may come to repentance, casting away evil, putting on the righteousness of Christ, and so entering into eternal life rather than perishing with the evil and corruption that is in this world. Friends, we're not called to look at the coming judgment as a reason to hide ourselves away, to wait idly, to look for reasons to exclude others as a way to reassure ourselves. No, no, the Lord is waiting patiently for us to bear witness to the truth, that we and others may turn away from the greed and lust, the selfishness and violence, the divisions and divisiveness that too often characterize the culture around us and even the church. Instead, we're called to turn toward the way of love that is in Christ, the way of healing and redemption, the way of the kingdom. Peter then gives a brief vision of this coming of Christ at a time unknown to any, a time of judgment by fire, the consuming fire that purifies, a fire like the one that accepted the offerings of Abraham, the same fire that purified the lips of Isaiah in the throne room of God, a fire that descended upon the believers gathered in Jerusalem on that great and glorious day of Pentecost. A fire that Paul describes as testing each of our works as either enduring or perishable. A fire that Peter says will dissolve all the worldly trappings that so draw our eyes away from God. Think of all the stuff that we so often chase after. The things we just have to have. The things that we worry about the things that keep us awake at night. As we come into a new year, think about the things that you worried about a year ago. How many of them are still important? What about five years ago? Are any of those things still important? 
Are they still the things that make you worry and keep you up at night? We experience even in this short time of our own lives the way that things pass away. The way that we throw our attention after glittering images. The way we, like Solomon, chase after vanity and vapors. Peter casts a net even wider and asks, when our eyes are turned to the coming Christ, when we look with an eternal perspective on our current circumstances, what is truly important? When we look through the eyes of God at the world around us, what is truly important? And then Peter finishes this letter to the church that waits with encouragement. An encouragement to be at peace, to wait with an eternal perspective, trusting in the sure promise of the kingdom. An encouragement to be holy, living not as those who partake of the passing things of this world, but as those who participate in the divine nature of God as partakers of the eternal kingdom. And an encouragement to rejoice in the patience of Christ as salvation. Patience of Christ as a way of healing and a call to redemption, a call to resist the ways that lead to hurt and wounding, to turn away from the ways that would return us to bondage, to keep our eyes fixed on the promise of Christ so that we may not lose our balance, an encouragement to grow in the grace of Christ and in our knowing and being known in Jesus. And so today, today as we walk through our liturgy, we'll come across some other reminders that again draw our eyes to the coming Christ. In a few minutes, we'll affirm in the creed that we believe that Jesus will indeed come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and that his kingdom will have no end. And then, after we hear the words of Christ proclaimed once more over the bread and the wine, we'll respond with the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And then we'll enter into that space. That space where the temporal and eternal meet in this celebration and at this table. And we will pray that we will indeed be partakers of the divine nature as Christ dwells in us and we in him. In this, may we indeed grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then, as we go, we go as a church waiting, sent into a wanting world, a people sent to love and serve as faithful witnesses, and as we go, may our eyes be fixed upon the coming Christ, not in fear, but in hope, that this waiting and this wanting, even in this, that all may come to the love and peace that is found in Christ now and will be forevermore. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.